listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So I would like to invite you this morning in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. And as you're finding your way there, a couple of things are telling me something. One, baseball is in the air, and my sinuses are telling me that spring is almost here. Um, but we are glad you are here, and you've chosen to be here in the house of the Lord this morning. So last week, we have been walking through this book of Galatians, and last week, we talked a lot about this word, legalism. We saw it, this pitfall of Legalism. So this morning, we're going to see a, another side, another dangerous pitfall. You might even say the reverse side of hypocrisy. But here's what I mean by the reverse side. Last week, we talked about legalism. And legalism is the right actions, doing the right thing, but with all the wrong beliefs. So a Jew, they're commanded to follow the law. They were commanded to follow the Jewish dietary laws. If you were male, you were to be circumcised. And those were the right actions. In fact, they were commanded by God to his people. But the wrong beliefs to them was, well, it gains me greater acceptance before God. Or as we've been seeing, in order for a Jew, I mean a Gentile, to be reconciled with God, then he must or she must now become a Jew, and then they could be accepted. So they had all the right actions, but the wrong beliefs. It's like this. I took my two youngest to the dentist office on the same day at the same time. Now, that's always an adventure. And I tell you, my children could be something like this. You tell them, go and brush your teeth. Well, they go up. You hear the water running, and they brush their teeth for three minutes. They floss between every tooth. They even gargle fluoride rinse. They do all the right actions. But in their mind, maybe they're thinking, oh, this means I get to stay up later. Or, oh, maybe I get another suite. Or, hey, they will love me more than my brother or sister because I've done all the right things. And that can be legalism. It is all the right actions, but it's with the wrong beliefs. So this morning we're going to see hypocrisy, which is just the flip side of that, that hypocrisy are the right beliefs, but followed with the wrong actions. Just the reverse side of that. So my same two kids, I tell them to go brush their teeth, and uh, they go up to the bathroom and they think, you know what, mom and dad love me. There isn't anything that I could do that would make them love me any more or any less they are proud of me, not because of what I do, but they are proud of me just because I belong to them. And they have all the right beliefs. So then they turn the water on, they wet that toothbrush, and they put it back in the jar. They pull out some floss, and they throw it in the trash can. They even fill the cap full of rinse and pour it down the drain. So they have all the right beliefs, but it's followed with all the wrong actions. And that is hypocrisy. In fact, we'll see today, we're going to look at this idea that often hypocrisy, we think of it as someone acting 
in a different way in certain settings. And I've heard this, you know, I might run into somebody and we get to talking. You might ask them, well, do you go to church? And oftentimes they might say, no, uh, man, it's just full of hypocrites. And you want to say, yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, I'm often one of those. And that's what we often think about, that hypocrisy is maybe doing something, but then around a different group of people acting differently or saying one thing and doing another. And that is also hypocrisy. But we will see this morning that hypocrisy is much deeper and is a much more common problem than we probably realize. In fact, today we will see hypocrisy from one of the most unusual suspects there probably could be. In fact, we will read today, as I have read, we'll walk through one of the most uh, intense and dramatic scenes in all of the New Testament. So let's pick back up in our study through Galatians chapter 2 beginning again in verse 11. It says this, But when Cephas, or that is Peter, when Peter came to Antioch. So Peter, Cephas, is going to travel now north to Antioch. And I want to show you a picture just so that we can orient ourselves. That They're down in Jerusalem, and he travels north up to Antioch. And what is interesting is we're reading through Galatians, you can almost see that Jerusalem was the center, was the hub of, of faith in Christ with the beginning of the Christian church. But what we will see is that it will begin moving north, and Antioch actually becomes the headquarters, it seems like, for taking the gospel to the north and to the west. But Peter, he's going to travel north to Antioch. It's about 300 miles and he travels up there. Now, we're not for sure when this happens. I, you can read through Acts. I did again this last week trying to find when was this visit. And Luke does not record it for us. So I believe if he's kind of talking in chronological order, it's going to be after that second visit we saw last week of the famine visit where Paul and Barnabas go down to Jerusalem. But it's before the Jerusalem council that we will see in a week or so in Acts 15. But here's this, this grand meeting, and we've got Paul, we've got Barnabas, we've got many of the, the church leaders of the church in Antioch, and Peter comes and he, he joins in with this group of believers. Now this is what it says, it begins by saying, so Peter, Cephas went up to Antioch, and I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So Paul stands up and he opposes Peter to his face because he stood condemned. Now, this is not at all, if you'd ever read through if you'd never read through Galatians, this can't be at all what you thought was about to happen. Because we have just been reading last week, we saw Galatians 2, verses 1 through 10. Do you remember what's happening? We're talking through, and Paul goes down. He takes his exhibit A, Barnabas. He, he takes Titus, his, his Gentile, and he presents them before a, a group of Christians in Jerusalem. And Paul wants to see, is their message of the gospel the same as I'm preaching? Would they affirm my message that a Jew and a Gentile both come to faith in the same way through faith in Christ alone? And you remember what happens? They're standing there. Had taken a lot for Titus to do this. Stand before these people. Would they accept him? And the last thing we read was that they extended to Paul the right hand of fellowship. And they affirmed him and his message. 
That's the last thing that we saw. And this is Peter for crying out loud. But Peter walked in. I mean, he's talked with Jesus for three years. He's the one that's now the leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem. He's performed miracles, cast out demons. He was even the preacher at Pentecost. But what we read, that Paul opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So what in the world could have caused Paul to confront Peter, the rock, to his face. Look at what it says in verse 12. For before certain men came up from James. Now we're not told who these men are. Uh, but it says they're from James. Now I don't believe. I don't believe they come uh, from actually being sent from James. For a couple of reasons. One, what we're about to see is not a message that James would have supported. You can read through his writings. You, you cannot come to that conclusion. But there's also evidence of, of false teachers kind of going out and using the apostles as their credibility. In fact, Acts 15 verse 24 says, Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and have troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instruction. So I think that's what has happened is these men have gone out and they say, listen, we are sent from James to come and make things right. So here's the issue. Goes on to say, Peter, he was eating with Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and he separated himself fearing the circumcision party. So Peter shows up. He joins in these activities, and he comes in as a Jew. He jumps right in there with them, having meals with them, probably taking the Lord's Supper. They might even allow him to preach and teach from time to time. He joins in with this group of Gentile Christians. But when these Jewish men show up, it says that Peter begins to draw back and separate himself. Now, you have probably witnessed this in some form or fashion or other, there's this party or maybe there's this kind of get-together and somebody shows up and uh, no one likes that awkwardness of standing around all by themselves. And so, you know, they kind of attach themselves, they mix and mingle with a group of people until their real friends show up and all of a sudden they act like they don't know them at all. And that's exactly what Peter is doing. He's joining in. He is acting as if he is one of them until these men show up. And when they do... It says he begins to draw back and separate it. Now you do some kind of word study and it's interesting to know that these are imperfect active verbs that mean this is probably a slow process. Maybe nobody really even noticed. Maybe it was a meal here or he kind of left early here. But he slowly begins to pull himself back. He, he slowly begins to withdraw or to shrink back from engaging with the Gentiles. Now, I think this is an important thing to see that isn't that usually how sin goes? That no one ever really sets out to destroy their marriage or to wreck their career or, or to ruin their family. Nobody ever sets out to do those things, but sin it is so enticing. And over time, before you realize it, all of a sudden you are now ensnared in that sin. And so Peter, he is slowly beginning to draw back. But I want to I highlight just a, a couple of things here I think are important for us. First, 
Why is not eating? Why is not eating with these Gentiles? Why is it such a big deal that Paul opposes him to his face in front of everyone? Why is it a big deal? The second, why we should be shocked that it is Peter at the one who did this. So why is it such a big deal? Well, one, it's hard for us to grasp this because of our cultures and our cultures are so different. You know, we live in a time of the fast food culture. We plan our meals around what is quickest and what is easiest because we have to get on to the next thing. But meals back then were very well planned out. They took a lot of time to prepare. People took their time to enjoy them. And sitting down over a meal with someone was a a special and a very powerful experience. Because when you took time to sit down with someone or you took time to invite someone into your home, that was a sign that you were in agreement with one another. This is someone I am in relationship with. This is someone I care about. We are in agreement and we are now sitting down together. In fact, I think this is one of the reasons why we are told as a word of caution when we take the Lord's Supper to make sure there isn't anything between us and another brother or sister. We are to go and make that right before we ever take the Lord's Supper. So this meal fellowship was not just inviting someone over or you going somewhere else. It was considered a sign of acceptance, of, of approval, of being in agreement with one another. This is why people got upset over and over again every time they saw Jesus sitting down and eating with a tax collector, someone that was known to be a sinner. Because in some way they were seeing Jesus saying, I'm accepting them. And people couldn't handle that. So this table, this meal, it's almost as a table of unity. I tell you, that's why I could never stress enough the power of a family sitting down together around the table and blocking out the world and reconnecting. There is something powerful about the meals that are happening and and the interaction that goes on. So it was a big deal because when Peter, when he began pulling back and he began shrinking back from engaging with these Gentiles, it was Peter acting as if really they were a different class of citizen. Because he was fine when no one was looking. But when the people from the circumcision party came, he began drawing from them. He began acting like there were two bodies in Christ instead of one. And there was this closeness and this unity that happens in and around the tables when people share a meal And Peter, by his actions, was actually saying that Gentiles were second-class Christians. And this flies directly in the face of the gospel. And this is what Paul is so upset about. He is all about unity in the body of Christ. And when Peter is treating these people differently, Paul just couldn't stand anymore. He had to stand up. But why? Why is Peter the most unlikely suspect? Well, for this, we're going to have to venture back to the book of Acts. So, if you'll find Acts 10 and 11 in your Bibles or on your device. So, Acts chapter 10. Remember, a lot of the book of Acts is correlated in with the book of Galatians. And so, in Acts chapter 9, beginning of about verse 9. So, 
this is right after you've got the conversion of Saul. And then in chapter 10, beginning in verse 9, Peter has a vision. Now, Peter is a very dedicated Jew. Peter would follow all the dietary laws. Um, He would participate in all the ceremonies. He was a devout, he was a dedicated Jew. But Peter's world is about to open up to a whole new blessing that he had no idea about. Because in Acts chapter 10, look at verse 10. Peter, uh, back up to verse 9. So the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the rooftop, often where it was cooler, uh, on the sixth hour to pray. So he goes up there in verse 10, and he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. So I imagine Peter is up on the balcony there. He can smell the unleavened bread cooking, probably some fish, because he was a devout Jew that would have eaten Jewish kosher food. But he falls into a trance, it says. He has this vision. In fact, the vision says that this sheet comes down from heaven, and and it begins to land. And look at verses 12 and 13. He looks over the sheet, and on it, it says, And all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air were on this sheet. There came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And so Peter sees this blanket laid out of him of delicious pork. I mean, there's pulled pork sandwiches, there's pork roast, there's pork tenderloin, there's pork chops, there's crawfish, there's crawfish po'boys, I mean, there's crawfish etouffee. Peter just has no idea what he's been missing. But notice, being a dedicated Jew, what does he say in verse 14? By no means, no way, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. But then God's response, verse 15, then a voice came to him a second time and said, What God has made clean, do not call common. So at the same time, a vision also goes to Cornelius. Cornelius is this Gentile and this soldier, and a vision comes to him, and it says, Go and get this man named Peter and invite him over to guess what? Eat. So if you're a Jew, just about to be invited to eat with a Gentile, God in just the right moment said, don't worry, I'm about to bless your socks off. And so he goes, they find Peter on the roof, Peter travels back to Cornelius' house for what we think is probably the best meal Peter has ever had. It has to be. But better than that, the Gentiles for the very first time A Gentile hears the gospel and comes to faith in Christ alone. He is reconciled to God. And Cornelius becomes the first Gentile believer. Well, the great thing is word quickly begins to spread. You're not going to believe it. What God said is happening. It came to the Jews, but it is now going to the Gentiles. And they are coming to faith. So word gets back. But I want you to notice what the religious people were concerned about. You're there in Acts 10. Look at verse 11. Because Peter goes through this whole spiel. He tells them exactly what has been happening. But 
But beginning in verse 1 of chapter 11 of Acts, it says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. But when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised party, get this, criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them? They were troubled because Peter was eating with these Gentiles. But notice Peter's courage. Chapter goes on and he gives a recount of everything that happened. He says, no, listen, guys, you, you don't understand. that These men from Joppa, they came to me and they asked me to come. I went to Cornelius' house, got to give him this vision. He said everything that was made clean. Now look at verse 17. This is now their response. Then if God gave the same spirit to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ... Who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So Peter, he stood for what was right, for truth, for the gospel, and the Jews glorified God because of this. Peter's actions were in line with his beliefs. So Peter is the most unlikely suspect because he's already been through this once before. But now we find him shrinking back and withdrawing rather than standing up for the gospel. So just a word of caution for all of us that Past victories over sin are no guarantee for, um, for the future. Just because you, you've maybe made it through one set of circumstances or temptations, it doesn't guarantee that the future comes any easier. We must always be on guard and focused on Christ. So Peter, he, he's falling into this now pitfall of hypocrisy. He got it right once. But now, he's falling back into this. He knows all the right truth and beliefs. But his actions, and his actions are all wrong. But notice what sin does. Sin splatters. The sins that we commit, they will always affect other people and even influence them. Look at verse 13 now, back in Galatians 2. Verse 13 says, And the rest of the Jews acted. They acted um, hypocritically along with them. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So just when you think it can't get any crazier, Peter starts shrinking back and withdrawing, and others, even Barnabas, follows him. Now this is Barnabas Barnabas is the one that stood up for the Gentiles. He is the one that went and retrieved Paul uh, from Tarsus. Barnabas traveled with Paul and Titus to visit and he, to their meetings. Barnabas was the one that was involved in Paul's missionary journey where he saw Gentiles coming to faith. In fact, in Acts eleven twenty four, 24, talking about Barnabas, said he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. But even Barnabas, 
Even Barnabas is led astray and falls in hypocrisy. And so it shows us that anyone, anyone can fall. No one is immune from this. But what I see from, from Peter and now Barnabas is what happens, what, what is wrong when we put the wrong identity forward. Here's what I mean by that is that we, we have several identities. You, you have an identity as a father, as a, a mother, as a wife, as a boss, as an employee, even Americans. And Barnabas was putting his identity of a Jew before his identity as a Christian. And anytime anyone puts an identity forward in front of their Christian identity, we're in danger. And that's what they were doing. And we need to be careful that we're not Americans or mothers or fathers or bosses before our identity as believers and followers of Christ. That identity has to come first. What happened is Barnabas and Peter, they, they took their identity as Jews and they switched them. But we are to be Christians first and foremost. And I think Barnabas forgot this. So now let's see Paul's final rebuke. Verse 14. Can I understand the scene now, what's going on? He says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, I said to Peter, before all of them, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, now, not like a Jew, how can you force a Gentile to live like Jews? So Paul says that, by refusing to eat with the Gentiles. This is what I said before. By you refusing to eat with them, you are not being in step with the gospel. The people Paul were addressing, they were all falling victim to this hypocrisy. That they have all the right truth. They have the right beliefs, but their actions are not following those beliefs. Peter's backing away. His denial of the gospel truth that Jews and Gentiles both are equally accepted before God. And when he was backing away from them, he was saying that was not true. So Peter, he had come in as a Jew and he was acting like a Gentile. He was associating, he was being one of them. So Peter looks at him, and, or Paul looks at him and says, how then can you now expect these Gentiles to become Jews? The answer is he can't. In essence, Paul is saying, since God shows no partiality, if God doesn't, then how can you withhold your fellowship from other believers? Well, how does that happen? I think it happens when we lose our focus. We become hypocrites when we take our eyes off of Christ. And Peter, Peter is the most unlikely suspect, but I want to just kind of jump back into his life for just a moment. I want us to see how, how can this happen? How can we so quickly lose our focus? Because three times we see Peter taking his eyes off of Christ. And you'll remember them. First time in Matthew chapter 14, Peter tries to walk on the water. So it's late at night. Disciples see Jesus walking on the water. Peter says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he has the right beliefs. In fact, he's the only one that's willing to get out of the boat. But when he saw the wind, it says, it says he became afraid. 
and he took his eyes off of Jesus. So he had the right beliefs, he had the right truth, but wrong actions of fear and doubt. I think it shows us that we can so easily become distracted and even discouraged and even fearful by the circumstances around us. And this happens when our eyes drift. Then go to Peter's denial in Luke 22. Peter has all the right beliefs. I mean, he has walked with Jesus and spent time with him. He's even proclaimed who he is. In fact, he says, Lord, if, if everyone denies you, I will always be by your side. But he has all the right beliefs, but he takes his eyes off of Christ. And this time, it isn't on his circumstances. He puts it on others. And then he becomes more focused on himself in the moment when he is pressured and he denies the Lord that he said he never would. So we can easily take our eyes off of Christ and put them on ourselves and others. And we can become and we can get to the place that we are caring more about what other people think about us than what Christ does. We can become to fear man over God, and that's exactly what Peter did. He took his eyes off of Christ. He put them onto other people and himself. But then there's another one that's not as well known. It's in the latter part of John 21, at the very end of that chapter. And uh, after Jesus went to Peter, remember he denies him three times, and the Lord takes him and Three times, then he restores him. He says, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, you know I do. Do you love me? Yes, you know I do. Do you love me? And the Lord says, feed my sheep. And he, he gave Peter that command. Well, they're walking. And in John chapter 21, verse 19, it says that this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this to him, he said, follow me. Jesus talking to Peter. But the next verse, do you know what happens? It shows Peter and Jesus walking. And Peter looks back and he sees John. And he says to Jesus, but Jesus, what about this man? Jesus replies this, what is it to you? Follow me. So when Peter took his eyes off of Christ and he put them on other people, and here in this case it was John, Christ had to recall him back to the very first command of discipleship, follow me, Peter. I think we can so easily take our minds off of Christ and begin comparing ourselves to others and we can become worried about what they are doing or what they're not doing, rather than focusing on what we are called to do and be in Christ. And so in one way, yes, Peter is the most unlikely suspect. I mean, he's the one that already gone through this once, and he stood the test. But then we see him fall. You see, there are all kinds of versions of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is... Anytime our thoughts and attitudes and actions do not match up with what we believe or what we know to be true. I want us to see and I want us to feel the dangers of hypocrisy this morning. But I don't want us to leave defeated. Because in all of these dangers and temptations that we face, including hypocrisy, God knows how easily our eyes and our hearts are prone to wander. 
This is one of the many things that I love about our Bibles. The Bibles that you hold in your hand that God doesn't shy away from. And he doesn't hide the failures of his people. That includes Peter. I mean, Peter is the one. He has all the right beliefs. And if anyone would have them, it would be Peter. But time and time again, we see his actions not in step with those beliefs. So here's the encouragement this morning. Keep in step with the gospel. Keep in step with it. Follow it. Keep in step with the gospel. But when you falter or when you trip or when your actions don't walk in line with the truth of the gospel, remember this. God will never leave you nor forsake you. And not even your hypocrisy can drive him from you. So I would say this morning, look to Jesus. Focus on him, the author and the perfecter of our faith. It begins with him and he will perfect it. And we see it in Peter. So Jesus, he took care of your sins and my sins on the cross. And that includes our hypocrisy. So will you look to him this morning? Let's pray. Father, this morning as we continue to think through and walking through the truth this morning that there are many ways we can fail you. There are many ways, whether it is legalism or hypocrisy. And what it should remind us of is our constant need of you. So Lord, help us. Help us to walk in step with the gospel this next week. In our homes, in our places of business, in our own thought lives, in our activity on the computer. Help us to walk in step with the gospel. Help us to act according to the truth that you have given us. But Father, when we falter, when we trip, when our actions do not become in line with that, when our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions do not match what we know to be true, Lord, would you gently set our eyes back on him, the author and the perfecter of our faith. It is in his name that we ask all of these things and by the power of your spirit, Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.